Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to All the Books a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 377, and today we are talking about books being released on August 30th, 2022, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Kelly Jensen, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Kelly Jensen, hello! You are here for the magical fifth Tuesday of the month, which appears, like, what, once every four months, do you think? Once every three months? Something like that, yeah. I don't know. But it's fun, and I'm glad you're here. Yeah, and I'm excited to be here. I got such joy out of reading the books that I read for this week. Yay! All of the horror books are finally, like, coming out in mass, so I got to read a whole bunch of really cool horror reads, which, like, at this point, some listeners are like, great, I'm logging off. But I promise, (laughs) I read such a range of horror that even if you're like, I don't like horror, you're gonna like at least something here. Yeah. How about you? How are you doing? Oh, you know, it's been a week. It's been it's been a very long week, which is unusual for me to have like a week this much of a bummer, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, which affects my reading. But that's OK. You know, these things happen. Life happens. You know, I know yeah. everyone out there understands what it means like to like get bad news and have it just, you know, knock you off your axis, basically. Yeah, yeah <laughs> so for sure. I'm trying to rebound. There's lots of great books. I'm venting right now on the podcast because I only have my husband and my cats to talk to, (laughs) you know, but Mm -hmm. um, there are lots of hummingbirds. That's exciting. So many of you reached out to me. You were very excited about the hummingbird nectar ring that I talked about last week that I bought. Update still hasn't worked. (laughs) you know and like it has like a bazillion amazing reviews and all these videos of people holding them and like the hummingbirds but i don't know if it's because you know i do it like in my office with the window open and no cats in here but like maybe it smells like cats in here or maybe they're just like that woman we're not going near her i don't know she's wearing a scary iron maiden shirt like should should we like approach her you know (laughs) But, I mean, it is still pretty cool, and I do, like, when I'm not wearing it, I leave it on the windowsill, and they do come over and, like, look at it, so that's hmm. something. Maybe it, I just need to give them more time. You know, it's only about, Maybe. like, a week and a half, maybe two weeks, so. What about you? What's going on in your part of the world? Um, I'm here. I, I read <laughs> a lot of books. Yeah. For listeners who don't know, I am back in graduate school for uh, clinical mental health counseling, and... I finally had a couple weeks off. Like, the way our semesters work is that at the end of the spring semester, there was no break before summer semester. And then what? the two sessions of summer didn't have a break. So, like, I finally had two weeks off, and they were awesome. So my next class starts next week, which means my reading life will be a little weird. But, like, the nice thing about going to school for something that interests you as opposed to, like, some of those classes you have to take when you're, you know, in undergrad or whatever, yeah. um, is everything you're reading is stuff that interests you. So it's, like, 
yeah, I'm not reading books, but I'm reading so many interesting articles and texts and stuff that it's not like I feel my reading life is suffering. It's just a little bit different, mm-hmm. you know, um, which is kind of yeah. nice. So that's great. Yeah, I agree with you as if I know what it's like to go to school. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, I am a proud autodidact. <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And I learned a lot from books. Exactly. And we are going to talk about books today. But before we do that, we are going to hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest-paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Underlined. Haven't read a Natasha Preston thriller yet? We dare you to try. She's known for her line of chilling young adult suspense novels like The Cellar and The Fear. The New York Times and USA Today bestselling author excels at putting fear into the hearts of her readers. So her newest book titled The Dare is about five friends whose senior prank goes very, very wrong. This is the perfect graduation season read for thriller fans who can handle a good scare. The Dare is now available wherever books are sold. You can learn more more about it at getunderlined.com. So again, this young adult thriller is about five friends with a prank that goes wrong. There are dark secrets, a twisty plot, and creepy I know what you did last summer vibes. So if you, you know, it's graduation season, you want to revel in that, but like make it scary. You know what I mean? Pick up The Dare by Natasha Preston. And thanks again to Underline for sponsoring this episode. All right, I'm going to kick it off with a really fun thriller. It is Daisy Darker by Alice Feeney. Now, I read a lot of thrillers. I read over 600 Mm. books a year, and I would guess that at least for the last couple of years, at least a third of those have been thrillers, basically because I just finished up a job recently where that was all I read. And they'd be like, what do you think of them? And, and, And so a lot of them, even though... It's, you know, no one's fault. They're very similar because you can only do so many things, you know. But it has, so it has to be like a really special thriller for me to be like, that was outstanding and stuck out to me. And that is what this one did. I read this last year and I've been like waiting to talk about it forever. Alice Feeney is the author of Rock, Paper, Scissors, which you might have read. I know that uh, I talked about another one of her books, I think, on the show. But this one is just... This wild homage to And Then There Were None, hmm. which is the Agatha Christie sort of locked, lo- I like to call it a locked island mystery because not only are they like the only people there, but like they're on an island. So nobody's getting out of the house. Nobody's getting out of the island. 
So it's about, surprise, surprise, a character named Daisy. Daisy is 13 and a very lonely child. She was born with a heart condition and her parents were very protective of her, so they didn't allow her to play much or go to school. She was homeschooled. She had two sisters who got to do everything that they wanted, and they were sent to boarding school, and they've lived these, you know, really exciting lives, and Daisy is very lonely. Not only that, but also she's had very serious medical incidents over the years, like where she has pretty much died and been revived because of her heart condition. Uh, And so now Daisy is 13, and her favorite person in the world is Nana. Nana is a very eccentric older woman. She's a writer and an illustrator. Her children's book is called Daisy Darker's Little Secret, which is, you know, obviously named for Daisy. She lives in this huge gothic mansion on an island, and Daisy spends her summers with Nana, and it's like the highlight of her life. Like, she's been doing this for years, and it's really the only time that she gets to be herself or be a kid, really. And so now, it's Nana's 80th birthday. Nana is having a party at her gothic mansion, which happens to be on an island. It's a secluded island estate where the high tide cuts them off from passage to the mainland for eight hours a day. So basically at night, the tide comes in. You can't drive back to the mainland until the tide goes back out, which is going to be bad because there's going to be a murderer at this party. Not that they know that. So Daisy and is there with her family. Her family, not super nice to each other. They don't really get along. It's like her parents and her sisters and cousins. And they're there because, you know, it's Nana's birthday. They're going to set their differences aside. But also, basically, they're there because they think that Nana's going to tell them some stuff about her will because she's 80. And she's always had, like, this premonition that she wouldn't live past 80. So... You know, they're all there, you know, including like Daisy's parents who are divorced and and not amicably. Um, Everybody's there. But so they go to the party. The tide comes in. They can't leave the island. And at the stroke of midnight, Nana is found dead. Now, this is like shocking, right? But an hour later, another family member dies. And then another and another. And... This is bad, obviously, for obvious reasons, you know, but the people who are left behind are like, who is doing this? Who is behind the killings? And, you know, they've got eight hours, you know, who's going to be left when the causeway is cleared in the morning? It's so fun. Like, you know, in the way that fake murder is fun. You know, Daisy narrates the book, both, you know, in the present and in the past. We get to see, like, some of the reasons why the family members don't get along, some of the things that, you know, go on with Daisy when she's younger, And that's really all I want to tell you about this book, because the less you know, the better. But I will just say that the ending is banana pants. The whole book is banana pants. And I'm actually pretty excited because I wrote a review of this book in one of our newsletters many months ago, and they, the publisher saw it and started using my banana pants in their promotional material, and then a publicist told me that Alice Feeney brought it up at a meeting that they had, and she really likes the word banana pants. So I was like, yes, I introduced Alice Feeney to the word banana pants, which is just probably going on my tombstone. So this book is just super creepy and really fun and really unpredictable, which is something that I always appreciate in a thriller because, like I said, so many, you know, they can be good, but they are still like, we know how this ends. And this one, I did not see the ending coming at all. I do want to give content warnings for violence, murder, 
loss of a loved one, child neglect, child endangerment, infidelity, physical abuse, animal death, and chemical use and abuse. I also want to point out that the Nana aspect of this book about her being a popular children's author and writer reminded me of two books that I really love that I feel like didn't get enough attention, still don't get enough attention. One being Harriet Wolf's Seventh Book of Wonders by Juliana Baggett, which when it came out in paperback is just called Seventh Book of Wonders about a, a beloved child author with a series that everybody's been, she's very mysterious and everybody wants to know her. And there's also the Rabbit Back Literature Society by Pasi Ilmari Yeskalainen and translated by Lola Rogers, which is one of the stranger books that I have ever read about a beloved children's author, again, who goes missing in the middle of like a meeting of writers and society people and townspeople. And there's some really weird stuff going on in their town. Uh, so that one is very strange, but also love it. So I just want to shout those two out as well. And again, I want to shout a lot about this one. It's Daisy Darker by Alice Feeney. So my first pick is Dead Flip by Sarah Farzan. And I'm going to begin by saying that I am a huge fan of this author and think she has this really magical ability to weave humor into her writing so perfectly. Like she can write about some really heavy stuff. And yet I am still laughing as I read my way through. There just aren't a lot of genuinely funny books out there, but hers deliver and Dead Flip is no exception. This is a book that is for fans of Stranger Things, books set in that sweet spot of the late 1980s and the early 1990s, kind of like the Paper Girls comics. And it is packed with pop cultural references of the time and done in a way that is really laugh out loud. So the story follows Corey, Maz, and Sam, who were inseparable when they were growing up. They hung out all the time. They shared this deep love for all things Halloween and arcade games, um, among other things. Yet when they were in middle school, stuff started to change. And we kind of get this sense that something changed. And then we get a flash forward to 1993. And Sam has been gone for six years now. Corey and Maz are seniors in high school, and they run across one another by chance. And that chance meeting resurrects not only the feelings of their broken friendship, but it also somehow brings Sam back. Sam comes back, though, not as a senior. He comes back as his 12-year-old self and still thinks it's 1987. What unravels is a story of secrets, best friends sometimes keep from each other, and what both Corey and Maz believe happened to Sam. Corey had dug her heels into this idea that Sam died while Maz believes Sam was sucked into this weird arcade game that lived in their favorite game shop at the time. The reality is a little bit of both, honestly, and the story unfolds as the friends unpack the events that led to Sam's disappearance and what sort of friendship the three of them might still have all these years later, if they can have one at all. This is a really fun paranormal mystery and a look at how friendship change over the course of one's coming of age. And it is so entertaining. There's a lot here about being queer at a time when being open about one's sexuality was more challenging than it is now. And it's also about growing up as a brown kid in a very white world. 
the alternating timelines here give this a really fast pace. And I'll reiterate that the pop culture references here and the humor make it the kind of book that taps into a really special type of nostalgia. If you're hesitant about horror, but want to read horror, this will be a great pick. Um, It has enough chills in it to give it that designation, but it's not particularly gory or terrifying. Though I should note, there is some animal freezing in here. So if any sort of animal stuff like isn't for you, just be, be aware of that. No creatures in this book will lose their lives, but they are, you know, um, impacted by what happens in this story. And that is Dead Flip by Sarah Farazan. Sarah is one of the funniest people I've ever met. Oh, she was yeah. at Book Riot Live, I think in 2016. Did she win trivia? I know she was on like the book trivia I... panel. She was on it. She was so funny. I don't remember, but I can share this anecdote. So Sarah and I share a publisher, and Mm -hmm. um, we were together at TLA, I want to say in 2018 or 19, I can't remember which year, and one night we were sitting in my hotel room together watching bad TV, and just like, the things that come out of her mouth were so funny, and I remember her saying distinctly, she had no idea what she was going to write next, and you know, like, this is author talk, like, talking shop, like, what are you going to write next, Mm -hmm. what are you going to work on next, and so... I was shocked when I saw that this was what she was doing next. And, like, I didn't know until the announcement came out. You know, like, you're you're friendly with people at events, but you're not necessarily friends with them. And, like, to say this delivered and, like, really captures her humor in such a, like, authentic way. I was like, yeah, this is the exact right book for, for you to be writing right at this moment. Yeah. I loved it. I thought it was great fun. I feel like they dropped the cover and then the book was available like the next day on Edelweiss and I sat down and just read it because yeah, I was like, this is going to be hilarious. And Yeah, I was like, I know this is the kind of book I'll need to be reading yeah. right now. Yeah. So speaking of books that we need to be reading right now, I want to preface this by saying sorry to all the other amazing books that are out today uh, that, you know, one of which I'm not going to be talking <laughs> about because I'm taking it up with... That's based up with this book, but I have been waiting a year to talk about this book, and you're all going to be so excited. <laughs> it is, but it's yeah, true. Yeah. It's true. Best best book of the year? Possibly. It's Banicula, the graphic novel. You know, Banicula is based on the novel written by James and Deborah Howe. This has been adapted by Andrew Duncan and illustrated by Stephen Gilpin, and I was so excited when I saw that this was coming, I immediately was like, please, can I have this? And they were like, all right. So I read it before there was like any color illustrations or anything. And Manicula is just this this series from the 70s. And first of all, it's one of the things that breaks my heart all the time when I think about it. Because uh, the first book in the series, Manicula, about this family, which I'm going to explain to you in a minute, was written and then uh, by this couple, James and Deborah Howe, and then Deborah Howe died before the book came out. And so she never got to see how beloved Benicula is to children of the, you know, 70s and 80s and 90s and, and going on. And that just makes me want to cry whenever I think about it. Um, but Benicula has lasting power. It went on to be a series. And now we have a graphic novel. So I'm going to give you the story of Benicula. It's about the Monroe family. And their dog, Harold, and their cat, Chester. Harold is the one narrating the book. 
Nay, he's actually writing the book about this story. And one day, the Monroe, Monroe family go to the movies to see Dracula. And when they come home, they have a rabbit with them in a box that they found under their seats at the movie theater. Like, what is that rabbit doing there? And he's very cute. He has this little pointy, he's white with this like little pointy black V on his forehead, like Dracula's hairline. And he has very pronounced canine teeth. Now, the family decides to keep it. They're like, oh, this bunny's so cute and he needs a home and we're going to get him a cage and we're going to feed him vegetables. It's going to be great. Chester the cat is like, I am not having this. Like, what is that rabbit doing in a movie theater? He he looks funny. I don't like him. He's very suspicious. Harold is unbothered by the rabbit. He's like, all right, a rabbit. That's fine. But when they get up the next day, some of the vegetables in the refrigerator have turned white and they have two little puncture marks in them like they have been drained of all their juices. Why? Who knows? Chester is determined to prove that Panicula can somehow turn himself into a bat or a mist and get out of his cage and drain the vegetables because he must be a vampire. Harold, on the other hand, is going to protect Panicula from Chester and also protect Chester from himself because Chester is has wild fancies. It's so cute. As an adult reading it, I have all kinds of questions that, you know, are just, you don't ask these questions because then it would just spoil the book. Like, you just have to go with it. But I mean, the illustrations are so cute in this book. And they've given it like, a couple of minor updates, including the fact that Harold now types his story on a computer as opposed to a typewriter. But then, you know, because like, if you think about it too much, though, it's like, why aren't these kids like filming this rabbit and putting it on YouTube and putting up pictures of these white, like, in the present day, a million people would have seen these white vegetables, you know, five minutes after they found them, you know? But so you just have to like let that go and just adore the story because it's so cute. It's a really great addition to the Benicula canon. Or I shouldn't say canon because it's not an original story, but just to the Benicula story in general. Um, and I don't know if they're adapting the other books yet, but uh, there are more in this, in the novel series, including the Howliday Inn and the celery stalks at midnight. So this is Benicula, the graphic novel by James and Deborah Howe, Andrew Duncan, and illustrated by Stephen Gilpin. Can I tell you that I don't think I've ever read the originals? Like, <laughs> I know, I know. You're in for a treat. I know, and and the thing is, like, I think I'm going to start with the graphic novel, because I think it's it'll so be adorable. Cute. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I loved, I was just like, oh, these are just even cuter than I imagined them. Because the the original series have these great illustrations. And then I guess it had a, a, a cartoon. Like, I don't oh. know if it was a series or a movie, but I saw a still from it today when I was looking for it. And the do- like it kind of looked very Scooby-Doo, and I was like, <laughs> that's not how I picture them. But I would probably still watch it if I got my hands on it. <laughs> so my next pick is my non-horror pick, but probably, like, if you're listening to this and you are listening to the description, you're going to be like, Kelly, that sounds worse than any of the horror books that you have talked about. Sorry. Also, you're welcome. This is Seton Girls by Charlene Thomas. And I'm going to start by saying if you're the kind of reader who hates a book that is a lot of talking about a thing, but not talking about the thing specifically, you're going to get frustrated with this one. But I personally found that the structure and the narrative arc work tremendously for this debut novel about an elite high school, its really, really stellar football team, and the disgusting lengths to which that team will go to maintain that status. So 
Allison Allie Jacobs is the first junior to be named editor-in-chief of the Seton Story newspaper. She and her boyfriend, Jay Turner, he is poised to be the school's first black quarterback next year for their varsity team. And the two of them are not like the other kids at Seton. They're outsiders who have to be driven in to the school as part of a new program by the school to diversify the student body. But both Allie and Jay, they see Seton as this pathway to success, to scholarships, and to life outside their current tax bracket. Both are super successful, they're talented, and they're really well liked at Seton. So you've got them. And then you have Parker Adams, who is a senior. He is poised to follow in the footsteps of his legendary brother, Cooper, who launched Seton's football team to fame 12 years ago. And now Parker wants to ensure that he continues the legacy and that he is able to make a name for himself, too. This is year 13, and he's going to make sure that all of the previous years of success don't come crumbling down around him, and that he can also maintain the status before Jay takes on the um, role of varsity lead quarterback, because he is a black student, he's going to gain that notoriety that way. And um, that's Parker's mentality in this. So you've got those two sets of characters. And then... um, The story has this moment where there's a major fight at the start of the new school year between Britt and her best friend, Michelle, and it shatters their best friend group. Parker is Michelle's boyfriend, and he has slept with Britt, and now no one knows who to believe about loyalties and friendship. Britt quickly becomes closer to Allie in the aftermath, and the two of them grow really close to one another. Britt shows Allie what it is to kind of be this elite Seton student um, and live this life of wealth and fame and what happens when you take calculated risks that might undermine the entire school when you tell the truth and people believe it. So this book deals really frankly with sex, consent, and sexual assault. So know that going in. Um, But it's a really compelling read in part because like Allie, you as a reader are desperate to know what has happened between Britt and Parker and why maintaining this 12-year winning streak for the football team has become so important to the team and to the school. Um, It's worth noting that they don't win state. They just win their champ, like they win their, you know, league. And so... Slowly as the story unravels itself in bits and pieces, um, you're able to kind of put together the pieces, but you're right there with Allie as she's putting them together. You learn that there are these flash drives, that there are girls who are being used by the boys who they believe are romantically interested in them, and then one day a flash drive goes missing. The cast of characters in this book is really diverse, though my one little qualm in here is because of how it's set up with the back and forth timeline, we don't get to know Allie and Jay as much as like I really wanted to know them or about Seton's change from being this very, very elite school in a very, very wealthy area to allowing more students to be bussed in. But ultimately... That doesn't matter um, because that's what the book's about. It's about sex and sexual exploitation. It's about power and control and the ways that rich golden boys believe they can use girls to their advantage, even over something that is ultimately as trivial as football seasons. It is a very twisty and dark book, and the ending I found to be so dang satisfactory. If you're looking for the kind of book that – 
is really female friendship focus, where that's sort of the core of the story. This is going to be right up your alley. The marketing comps for this one, like when I say this, are going to make sense to some people. But then if you're like me and old and they make no sense, you know, I've got something for you. So marketing comps it as Friday Night Lights meets Dear White People. But I would say for those who are like, okay, I don't 100% know what that means. It gave me the feel of Exit Pursued by a Bear by E.K. Johnson meets We Ride Upon Sticks by Quan Berry meets Not Here to Be Liked by Michelle Quach minus the, the romance. There's some romance in here, but it's not a romance. And romantic relationships are like way at the bottom of the list in this this book. Yeah, it's really refreshing um, in terms of being the kind of twisty read that was actually surprising how it was put together. And the writing in here is great. That is Seton Girls by Charlene Thomas. All right. So those are the books that we have read and recommend. And now we are going to talk about more of today's releases in hardcover and paperback that we are excited about but haven't necessarily read. Although, Kelly, I know that you have read both of yours. I have not read both of mine, I I am ashamed to say. But I'm excited about them, and I'm going to kick it off with Tomorrow in Shanghai Stories by Meili Chai. Uh, this has received many starred reviews, and Meili Chai, uh, her last collection was called Useful Phrases for Immigrants, and it uh, won awards. It was also a story collection. And this is, to quote the, the blurb, a short story collection exploring cultural complexities in China, the Chinese diaspora in America, and the world at large. So the stories include a story of a doctor who harvests organs to pay for a wedding, a future colony on Mars where a working class Chinese woman lands a job as a nanny, two Chinese American women uh, who find unexpected romance, a white woman and her biracial daughter who are having reached a, a really tough point in their relationship. And yeah, just, it sounds amazing. Um, it has so many great blurbs and it's weird like now that we do this thing where we're like we're talking about books that we haven't read because i'm like i don't know what else is inside here except it sounds good which is how we choose books so um like i said it's getting tons of great reviews and you know i really enjoyed Meili chai's last book useful phrases for immigrants so i'm looking forward to reading these stories it is tomorrow in shanghai stories by Meili chai and Before Kelly tells us about her next pick, we are going to hear from another sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Charming, easygoing, and rich, Xavier Castillo has the world at his fingertips. He also has no interest in taking over his family's empire, but that hasn't stopped women from throwing themselves at him. Unless, of course, the woman in question is his publicist. The cool, the intelligent, the ambitious Sloan Kensington, who is a high-powered publicist who's used to dealing with difficult clients, but none infuriate or tempt her more than a certain billionaire heir with his stupid dimples and laid-back attitude. She may be forced to work with him, but she'll never fall for him because he's a client and that's all he'll ever be, right? Right, girl, like we all know. So just in case you didn't know, author Anna Wong is the best-selling author and book talk viral author of the Twisted Love series, the King of Sin series. Miss Wong, got it going on, okay? Make sure to check out King of Sloth by Anna Wong. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Song of the Silks Realms by Judy Eilin. Shi Wei is a talented young musician who was orphaned at a young age. Her sole family is a kindly uncle, but then her uncle is killed and she is, of course, devastated. With no family and no patron, Shi Wei is facing the possibility of a lifetime of servitude playing the chin. Then one night, she is unexpectedly called to perform for the enigmatic Duke Meng. He surprises Shi Wei further with an irresistible offer. Serve as a musician in residence at his manor for one year and he'll set her free of her indenture. But the Duke's motives become increased increasingly more sus when he and Shue barely survive an attack by a nightmarish monster. It's like, what, <laughs> what's going on here? So this book is a sweeping epic romanticy that follows a talented young musician who is swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young duke. And who doesn't want to be swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young duke? She's living all our dreams, honestly. Make sure to check out the new book. And thanks again to Song of the Six Realms by Judy Eileen for sponsoring this episode. All right, Kelly, what do you have for us next? So like Liberty said, I actually read four books, uh, all four books that I'm talking about, which like I didn't anticipate would happen, but part of why I was able to do that is because this book that I'm going to talk about now is one of my favorite books of the, the year. And like, I could not stop laughing as I read this book and just like, you know, you read those books that feel good and also they're funny and that you can't wait to tell everybody about. And they also got like the perfect book cover and also their paperback original. So they're also like a little bit easier on the budget. Like this book was everything. And it is Suburban Hell by Maureen Kilmer. So, story follows Amy, who moved to the suburbs a few years ago with her husband and started a family. They're well settled now in Winchester, Illinois, which is a western suburb of Chicago. And for anybody who is a Chicago um, area dweller or familiar with the area can probably guess what town Winchester is based off of. But Amy is best friends with three other women in the neighborhood, Liz, Jess, and Melissa. The four of them love to get together monthly for wine nights and to snark on, you know, being suburban about really allowing themselves to like snark, but also like lean into this lifestyle. And for a while, they have talked about building a clubhouse of sorts. And finally, the night has come for them to christen the space where the she shed in Liz's backyard will be constructed. Unfortunately... After that night, nothing is the same. Somehow, the four of them have unleashed a demonic force into their lives. And Liz has gone completely off the rails and is nothing like herself. And she also seems to have no idea how she used to be. Amy and her daughter are engaging with these now self-possessed dolls. And the home is starting to smell really, really bad. Um, And also... There are burn marks everywhere and their Roomba is like off off the charts, like possessed um, and is the Roomba from hell. With Liz now unable to act like herself, Amy, Jess and Melissa have to team up and figure out how to defeat the demon in order to get their best friend back and to get their lives back together. So if you're looking for a funny horror book or horror book, which can maybe be described as light or a romp, like this is it. There's some genuinely creepy moments in here, but mostly it's a lot of humor about life in the suburbs. Uh, there are tropes aplenty for horror fans and the smart takedowns 
of suburban culture do a great job of also like embracing what it is. Uh, yes, you can hate having the typical suburban mom life, but also realize that having that suburban mom life means you can make friends with similar interests um, pretty easily and that maybe you help each other out when one of your friends becomes possessed by a demonic spirit. There are Ouija boards, there are children's carnivals, and a ritual burning with bad alcohol in this one. The demon reveal is really clever, and while none of the characters are here to be like fully fleshed, deeply moving creations, it doesn't really matter. This book is about the voice and about the humor and the ways that women work together to solve a problem much bigger than themselves. Like I was cackling throughout this um, and reading passages aloud to my husband. Uh, there's one that... I think it's going to particularly resonate with anybody who lives in the Chicago area or knows anybody from the Chicago area or like Wisconsin. Um, it talks about how Wisconsinites love Fleet Farm and that it's this mystical, mythical place and how people need to understand that it's different than Farm and Fleet and that this like this entire passage was something that I have indeed talked about myself as somebody who lived in Wisconsin and moved to the Chicago Burbs. Like just these moments that are very, very funny, very local humor, but also are the kinds of humor that wherever you're at, you'll kind of understand like suburban humor with it. It's a perfect read, I think, for a creepy season, especially if you don't like your scares to be dark or heavy. I will note there is a discussion of animal death. So if that's something you're sensitive to, um, you know, take care when you're reading. And I've seen this one compared to Grady Hendrix's The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires, but maybe even campier if that kind of gives more sense of the kind of horror humor we're, we're going for here. And that is Suburban Hell by Maureen Kilmer. So I read this book. I saw the cover in the catalog, which includes what I call... Play-Doh Red, which is like one of my favorite colors, and immediately went and downloaded it and read it. I had never heard of a she shed before, <laughs> and the thing that made me laugh is that the next day we drove to my husband's cousin's house, and she I'd never been there before. She had a structure in her backyard that had a big sign that said oh, she no. shed, oh, no. <laughs> and I was like, uh-oh, you know, like it made me laugh. It is great fun. I would say, you know, I found it to be... Uh, a little, there's a lot more scary kind of gross stuff that I was ex than like I was expecting oh. the cover to lead me to to think. Yeah, but I mean, okay, yeah, it's it's like totally camp and you know there, but like there's a couple of like very serious things that happen <laughs> in the book. But yeah, just complete camp and and lots of lots of fun. It is interesting, like to hear somebody else who has read it and like be able to give a little bit more of that like. What you might expect. Like, me, I'm so used to reading such dark stuff all the time that mm -hmm. this, for me, was, like, easy reading. <laughs> you know, like, oh, yeah. yeah. But definitely, yeah, I mean, it's a dem demonic spirit. And, like, the story behind yeah. the demonic spirit, I guess, you know, has that, like, aspect yeah. of, you know, it's horror for a reason. Yeah. Is the best way to, to sort of describe that. Yeah. I mean, I think Grady Hendrix is, like, the perfect comparison. You know, there's a lot of, like, great social satire and commentary, but there's also, like, some very serious, scary stuff going on. It was so fun. Plus, I just, I love the cover. I just love it. And it fits. Uh, like, it fits yeah. the book. Yeah. So, and now I have to keep my eye on my husband's cousin, because <laughs> what's going on in the she shed? <laughs> so, my other pick for today, which I have not read yet, but I am excited to read is The Spear Cuts Through Water by Simon Jimenez. I've gotten, also gotten many starred reviews. 
Jimenez is the author of The Vanished Birds, which is a book riot favorite, an excellent uh, sci-fi book that was nominated for many awards about a mysterious child aboard a spaceship in the care of a solitary woman who keeps to herself. I guess that's that would, solitary would explain that. This one is another sci-fi book about two warriors who have to accompany an ancient god across the land. It says that it is about the tyrannical reign of a royal family and their the ending of them uh, in this fantasy and how uh, people have suffered for many centuries under the royal family on the moon throne and they're about to they're about to get dethroned I guess two people like I said these these two warriors are, have decided that they've had enough of what's going on and they're going to help bring an end to the moon throne forever uh, so I I look forward to reading this one I am sort of I don't know, it's not the right time of year to be falling out of horror, but I read so much horror in the last few months that I've kind of started leading very heavily into fantasy and sci-fi now, I think, for the fall. Um, but then, of course, you know, it, something... I just got uh, How to Sell a Haunted House by Grady Hendrix, so, I mean, I'm going to read, read the rest of that today and, like, probably go right back to horror instead. But I'm, I'm looking forward to reading this one. It is The Spear Cuts Through Water by Simon Jimenez. Well, the good news is you're getting another horror wreck from me for my final <laughs> pick. Yes, I, I actually, I've read this one as well. I've read more of your picks today than <laughs> I've read of my own. <laughs> so uh, this one, my last pick is Over My Dead Body by Sweeney Boo. And we're going to go down our horror path uh, with a witchy comic this time. And I will repeat that. This is a witch comic. So it's set at Yunwitty's Institute of Magic during the days leading up to Samhain. Is it Samhain or Samhain? I never... I've, I have no idea. Yeah, I've like heard both. So maybe I'll say both as we go through it. And a okay. listener will probably correct me and that's fine. Uh, but I'm going to say both. Anyway, so uh, it takes place in the days leading up to Samhain where the veil between the living world and the dead is thinnest. Abby wakes up and discovers that her best friend Noreen has disappeared. What's maybe weirdest is that most of Abby's classmates seem not to even care about it. They're so busy preparing for the festivities, and they believe that the school's coven will find Noreen safe and sound. Uh, nobody seems concerned about the Forbidden Woods seeming just a little bit more foreboding than usual either. Abby won't be settling for this, though, and begins to search out the answers herself with the help of a couple of friends, and what she unravels is a thread of secrets throughout the institution and a governing coven who may be anything but the kind of leadership that the institution deserves. Uh, Noreen's disappearance has a lot of similarities to the disappearance of a student years before. There are a lot of questions about the story and the institution, which uh, the institute rather, which go unanswered. So you have to be prepared to just drop into this world. You will not know how people are admitted to the school. You will not know how foundlings, who are the magical people born to those who don't have magic, are found or brought in. And you will not know much about the school curriculum. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. Uh, you instinctively know that, and the author trusts that you're going into this one for the mystery and for the vibe. This is a full-colored, extremely saturated comic, which gives the entire story this really moody, rich vibe. Um, I love the feeling it evoked 
so much that as soon as I finished this one, I went back to the beginning to enjoy just the art by itself again. Yunwitty feels a lot like the magical school you might be familiar with uh, from a different series, but this one has some incredible diversity. Goldie, who is one of Abby's close friends, is black, and her father teaches at the school. Violet, who is Abby's roommate and sometimes adversary, is queer, and Enver, who is another one of Abby's close friends, uses they-them pronouns. It was such a breath of fresh air to see such a range of witchy characters. Um, I've read a number of, like, traditional novels that do it, but seeing it in a graphic novel was a whole different level. Each stands out on their own, and each is just extremely cool. One of the most fun bits of this comic is that each character also has a fully developed familiar, and those familiars get good page time. Abby's familiar is a cat named Seymour, and while he is wise, he's also a cat who, like, is really a cat and doesn't want to go along with her all the time and can sometimes be downright curmudgeonly. This one is for readers who love witch stories, who love spooky vibes and vibrant art, and who want queer-centric stories of friendship and found family. Like, this one, I think you could describe as a vibe read, (laughs) you know? Like, I just want something that feels like fall. Um... This one is going to do that for you. And that is Over My Dead Body by Sweeney Boo. I really loved the animals in this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It has like real Sabrina vibes. Ooh, I really yeah. enjoyed that. I loved the artwork. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I was like, I didn't know how I was going to feel about it. And like, I don't know why I felt that way. <laughs> like, I knew nothing about the book or the author. But like, as I was paging through it, I was like, I don't know. And then the art was enough to, like, keep me going and keep me going. And like I said, when I got to the end, I wanted to reread it, and I did. I went back and reread it because the art was so cool. Yeah, it's really great. So those are books mostly that Kelly has read. (laughs) 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 Like I said, it's been a tough week. Um, uh, And now I'm going to tell you about some paperback releases. You know, because you can always get two paperbacks for the price of one hardcover. It's very <laughs> exciting. Although I will say, um, let's see, you mentioned that Suburban Hell is on paperback. The Benicula graphic novel is in paperback, so that's cool. Um, and now I'm going to lead it off with a twofer because Cassandra Ka has two books coming out in paperback today. Uh, the All-Consuming World, which is about a group of space criminals basically getting the band back together, uh, trying to figure out why their last mission went so horribly wrong, and also rescue a missing member and also the other cassandra Caw book is nothing but blackened teeth which is a tour horror novella about a couple who like horror so they decide to have a destination wedding at a house supposedly haunted by a dead bride and goodness are they gonna get their money's worth <laughs> also coming out in paperback Cackle by Rachel Harrison. Love Rachel Harrison. Love The Return. Love Such Sharp Teeth, which is coming out in a couple weeks or maybe a month. Uh, This one is about a young woman named Annie who gets her heart broken, so she decides to flee New York City for a very different place, and she finds a very small Vermont town and quickly makes friends with an enchanting woman named Sophie, who seems to be the nicest, friendliest like just smartest person that she knows but for some reason everyone else in the town doesn't seem to like sophie practically they are afraid of her what's going on there also out fuzz when nature breaks the law by mary roach which i still think animal vegetable criminal its uk title is 
a better title. I'm <laughs> sorry. I just love it. Um, and this is, you know, nonfiction about what happens when animals behave badly. Obviously, animals, you know, do not behave badly on purpose. But, like, what happens to that bear that gets into the dumpster behind the restaurant? Or, you know, what happens when, you know, even, like, plants, you know, act up somehow. Act up, in quotes. There's also The Manning Tree Witches by A.K. Blakemore, which is a novel about uh, witch trials centered in a small 17th century English village in more nonfiction. This is one that I have that I haven't read yet uh, that I really want to read. So I'm going to read from the description of the publisher because I I, I don't know uh, much about it. It's called Their Plant Eyes, T-H-E-R-E, Plant Eyes, E-Y-E-S, A Personal and Cultural History of Blindness by M. Leona Godin, and it says that Godin, who began losing her vision at age 10, illuminates the often surprising history of both the condition of blindness and the myths and ideas that have grown up around it over the course of generations. She combines an analysis of blindness in art and culture from King Lear to Star Wars with a study of the science of blindness and key developments in accessibility, including the white cane, embossed printing, digital technology, to paint a vivid personal and cultural history. So I'm going to have to dig that one out and uh, check that one out really soon. Also out, uh, A History of Wild Places by Shay Earnshaw about a man who is hired to locate a missing author who himself goes missing. I just picked up Earnshaw's Long Live the Pumpkin Queen, which is a YA novelization of Sally from The Nightmare Before Christmas, which uh, I cannot resist a Nightmare Before Christmas anything, basically. Uh, and if it was up to me, everything in my house would probably be Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, but it is not, so... Uh, also written in Starlight by Isabel Ibanez, which is the sequel to Woven in Starlight, which draws on inspiration from Bolivian politics and history and was named one of Time Magazine's 100 Best Fantasy Books of All Time. This is the sequel written in Starlight. And Two Parts Sugar, One Part Murder, A Delicious and Charming Cozy Mystery by Valerie Burns, which is about a social media expert who gets stood up on her live-streamed wedding and decides to flee town uh, just as her aunt, her great-aunt, excuse me, leaves her her bakery in a small Michigan town. So she decides she's going to become a, a bakery owner. And she also has to take on her aunt's 200-pound English mastiff named Baby. But shortly after she arrives, the mayor is murdered and her fingerprints are found on the knife. In poetry today, I don't talk about poetry very often, so I thought I would mention this one. Uh, Golden Axe by Rio Cortez is out. It's a collection about Afro-pioneerism in the past and present. Rio Cortez is a Pushcart-nominated poet and New York Times bestselling author, and this has received much acclaim, especially uh, in the the days leading up to his publication, because everybody's talking about it now, uh, and has great blurbs from Roxane Gay and Jason Reynolds and... If I'm going to read poetry soon, I think I'm going to pick up this one. So those are books coming out in paperback today. So yay, we did it. And by we, I mean me. I didn't know. Kelly had to drag me the whole way. (laughs) Oh my goodness, you're fine. (laughs) So Kelly, what are you going to read next? I asked my librarian to buy Patricia Wants to Cuddle by Samantha Allen, and Mm -hmm. I'm going to read that. Uh, It's an adult novel, queer, about a reality show gone terribly wrong. What about you? Yeah, 
Yeah, you are like steeped in horror. Oh yeah, yeah. That, that is another horror pick, which I have also read. Apparently, I'm just going to read the books that you read now. <laughs> and you're you're out of you're like, oh, I'm not reading much horror. But then I talk about <laughs> four horror books, and you're like, oh, I've read them. <laughs> yeah, but to be fair, I read them all at the end of last year, at the beginning of this mm-hmm. year. So um, I'm I'm very far ahead, except sometimes. <laughs> so I am going to read. Uh, I'm going to finish reading The Grady Hendrix, and then I'm going to read The Curator by Owen King, which comes out on March 7th, because I heard that this has uh, supernatural cats, and indeed, the description says it is a Dickensian fantasy of illusion and charm where cats are revered as religious figures. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, so it's like our time, (laughs) basically. (laughs) Like, when isn't it? And I'm also going to read The Golden Spoon by Jessa Maxwell, which also comes out on March 7th, because Janet Ivanovich says this is a delicious combination of Clue and The Great British Bake Off. And I was like, well, you know, how can I say no to that? And that, that reminds me... A couple of weeks ago, I had the pleasure of interviewing Mona Awad, who is the author of Bunny and yes. All's Well. And I was very nervous because she's a genius and I love her work <laughs> so much. And she was talking and she was talking about the ending of All's Well. And, and she said, she's like, well, I was inspired by a movie to try and create like three different endings at first. You know, and I, and I played around with that for a while. And I was like, oh, you know, what movie? And she's like, Clue. And I was like, I love you so much. <laughs> like, like I was expecting her to say something, you know, that I had never heard of. And it was just great. I mean, she's like, she's so awesome and down to earth. But, you know, I was very scared when she said Clue. I was like, this is going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're going to get, I'm going to get through this without embarrassing myself too much. Um, so that was really fun. And that is all for today. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to Kelly for being our pinch hitter for the <laughs> fifth Tuesday of months. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink, who has a lot of work to do today. <laughs> you can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online. Kelly hangs out on Twitter at Verona Kelly Mars. I'm going to spell that for you. It's V-E-R-O-N-I-K-E-L-L-Y-M-A-R-S. I mostly hang out on Instagram at Friends and Comes Alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is that you get your podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search bookriot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy happy reading. reading.